Thank you for joining us today on the Annex Podcast, hosted and presented by the Building Christian Fellowship. At the building, we build our faith, hope, and love in Jesus by having a real, relevant relationship with Him. And what better way for us to get closer to God than to learn more about Him through His Word? We pray you enjoy this message. Good evening, good evening, good evening. I'd like to welcome you guys to Tuesday night, TBCF, Rightly Dividing the Word. Thank you guys for, uh, for coming out tonight. Thank you for your patience as we were getting things together and getting things ready. Thank you for those of you that have tuned in over the internet for our live broadcast. Um, tonight, we're going to continue on in our journey through John. Um, tonight, we will be picking up at John chapter 17. But before we do that, let's go ahead and open up with a word of prayer. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for another opportunity to to go deep into your word tonight, Lord. We ask that you would just allow your word to transform us and change us from glory to glory, Lord, as we gain a greater revelation of who you are and your will for our lives tonight, Father, that your word would find its home in our hearts, Father. Lord, that our hearts would be good ground to receive the seed of your word, that it, it would be watered, it would be nourished, that it would be nurtured, Lord, and that we would be able to bear forth much fruit, that we would be pleasing to you, Lord, that we would be able to to honor you, Lord, with the heart of obedience to your word. Father, we thank you for setting us free by your truth, Lord, for whom the Son is set free is free indeed, Lord. We, We thank you for freedom, Lord, that you are increasing and multiplying our freedom as we continue to to delve deeper into your word, Lord, that, that to know you is to know your word, Father. Lord, we ask that, that you would uh, allow um, us to, to be able to, to have a greater insight as to, to who Holy Spirit is and who the Son is and who you are as the Father. Lord, that we would walk in sonship as, as you have always intended, that we would be your sons and your daughters, Lord, that we would be the royal priesthood that you have called us to be, Father. Lord, we ask that as your word opens up to us tonight, Lord, that our hearts would be open, our minds would be open, and our ears would be open to hear what the Spirit of the Lord has to say to the church. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we ask this in the mighty, magnificent name of Jesus. We say amen and amen. So once again, thank you guys for tuning in tonight. Thank you guys for showing up here physically in the building. Um, Tonight, we're going to continue to, to grow in a knowledge of who Jesus Christ is as we journey through the book of John. Um, last week, we, we left off with chapter 16, and we learned about the comforter. We learned about the advocate. We learned about Holy Spirit, whom uh, it, it was better for Jesus to go away so that the Holy Spirit could come and dwell on the inside of us, and that basically... Holy Spirit is not here with his own agenda. Holy Spirit is here to empower us and reveal to us exactly and make it plain what it is that Jesus has said in his word. Amen. And so we noticed that we, we, we learned last week that uh, just as Jesus, the son, glorifies the father and only does what the father has told him to do. So it is Holy Spirit's job to glorify the Son and confirm what it is that the Son has said and what the Son has done. Amen. And so we're picking up in John chapter 17. And and for those of you guys that are familiar with John chapter 17, most of us know this or we refer to this passage of Scripture as Jesus's high priestly prayer, right? We, we, We claim that it's the high priestly prayer. But in actuality, like it's it's a it's a good like if you wanted to kind of sum up what this chapter is or what this passage is it's it's a good uh, uh, attempt to try and call it that but technically Jesus wasn't actually the high priest yet because in order to be the high priest there had to be the sacrifice and then enter into the holy of holies you following and so with Jesus Jesus hadn't made a sacrifice yet however he's he's almost speaking in a sense or praying in a sense as, it's, as if it's already done. And for those of us that know that, that scripture is, is something that comes from eternity, right? We're only in the middle of time and space, but scripture is eternal. So we know that Jesus is the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. It was already done. And so therefore, that's why he speaks from a place of it already being done. And so what I would like us to kind of look at Aside from the fact that we attempt to 
sum it up as Jesus's high priestly prayer, but I want us to, to take a look at the fact that this isn't the first time that the, the disciples are seeing Jesus pray, and not the first time that they're seeing him pray in an open manner or a public display, but the prayer that they saw him do earlier that we're also familiar with that we call the Lord's Prayer, which is really not the Lord's Prayer, but it was really the Lord teaching us how to pray as he taught the disciples, is when he taught them how to pray, he was teaching them how to pray from a personal, a personal experience. He's teaching them like, this is the way that you should pray. When you pray, say, our Father, right? So he's teaching them a completely different concept from what prayer looked like from the religious leaders at the time. Right. All they saw was that, that this prayer where it was kind of a prayer that was to the words honored God, but it was disconnected. There was no relationship. And here it is. Jesus is teaching them how to pray in a sense that there is connection and there is relationship. So he's teaching them not to just say, oh, God, who is in heaven. He's saying our father who is in heaven, which shows relationship, which also is a revelation to them at the fact that, wow, God's intent from the beginning was always to be a father and child relationship. And so here what I want us to see in John chapter 17 is that Jesus is not teaching them the same kind of prayer that he taught them before, but what he's showing them is intercession. And this is where we get a first look at what intercession looks like. Okay? One of the things that we need to realize in this, in, in this before we delve into it is that all of the themes and the gospel are reaching a new climax here. Jesus' obedience to the Father, the revelation of God through the Son, and the calling of the disciples out of the world and into their mission, and into unity, and into their destiny. The prayers often accompanied important farewell discourses. So what we have to understand is what we talked about last week in John chapter 16 Jesus is breaking down to them, look, I got to go. I can't stick around. The advocate is coming. I'm not going to leave you alone. So he's telling them and preparing them for his departure. Okay? And so now here he is, he's continuing this same thought of letting them know that I'm preparing you for my departure, and now he's finishing it off with a prayer. And it's a prayer of intercession. And so we, what we need to understand is that prayers were often accompanied and they're important in a farewell discourse. Just like when we depart from service, we always like to close out with a prayer and send you guys off with a prayer. Let's pray out, okay? And so this is what Jesus is saying, like, before I, before I dip out on you guys and before I, I let the, the comforter and the advocate come, I'm going to pray, the main theme is Jesus' desire for the Father's glory and the disciples' welfare. That's what the theme of this intercession is. This prayer starts from a place of conviction uttered by one who has just affirmed that he has overcome the world. And that's where we left off last week. Jesus told them that you'll, you'll face many afflictions and many trials, but take heart and have great joy because I've overcome the world. And so right as he... Right as he gives that disclaimer that I've overcome the world, there's nothing for you to trip off of. He starts like this in John chapter 17. He says, after saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. Jesus didn't just accept the inevitability of the fact that he was about to die. Right? This is what we need to understand. Jesus isn't saying this in some kind of ho-hum, sad occasion type of thing. Like, yeah, you guys, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, take heart. I hope I've overcome the world. Like, no. He's saying take heart and understand that I've overcome the world. Like, what's about to happen is about to unleash a set of events that your lives will never be the same. You're about to walk in all of the stuff that I've been telling you about. I don't know if you guys caught it, but a couple of weeks ago when I preached on a Sunday, I talked about how, you know, I, I became the father of, of an actual full-grown adult now. And now he's at the point where his life is just getting ready to begin. Yeah, like 
our, our, our relationship has transitioned. Like, I'm not the same, in the same space of being a father to him as I'm about to be in his adult years. Our relationship is changing, but it's not a bad thing. It's, it's a good thing because all of the things that I've been telling him and that he's only heard and kind of like, kind of got glimpses of understandings of, now he's able to start living it out. And this is what Jesus is doing with the light. It's like, it's time to graduate, guys. This is, this is a graduating class. Your time with me as your teacher and master teacher is over, but there's another teacher that's coming that's going to teach you and br- make everything plain. Okay? So Jesus isn't just accepting the inevitability of the fact that he's about to, got, about to die. What's going to happen to him or, 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 or what it is that's, that's like the, the bad things that are going to take place. He's actually talking from a place of joy. He's asking the Father to bring the Son glory so that the glory can be brought back to the Father. A lot of us as believers, we take what we consider the bad things or the, the things that are, that are uh, uh, darker in nature kind of just as with, with inevitability, like, like, well, it's out of my hands. I can't control it. Blessed be, blessed be the will of God. Whereas Jesus is coming from a place of like, look, I just proclaim the fact that I've overcome the world. And yes, I'm going to lay my life down. But that's only the beginning of the story. His petition to the Father is for the grace necessary to accomplish the task that will result in his glory. This petition is a testimony to Jesus' commitment to do the Father's will even to the point of dying on the cross. His request for glory, therefore, was unselfish. It wasn't about him. It was about the Father. Verse 2. As Jesus continues on, he says, Father... Bring the Son glory so that the Son can bring the glory back to you. And he says, for you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father... Bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. I have revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you, for I have passed on to them the message you gave me. Remember, this is is a continual theme that we've been seeing throughout the book of John is that Jesus is like, I'm telling them what it is that you told me to tell them. I didn't come with my own message. I didn't come with my own mission. I'm doing exactly, I did exactly what it is that you've asked me to do. And so for I've passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it and know that I came from you and they believe you sent me. My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me, because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. Now I am departing from the world. They are staying in this world, but I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that not one was lost except the one headed for destruction, as the scriptures foretold. Now I am coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. 
I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. Amen? Let's break this down. Jesus prayed for his disciples before he chose them. This is what we have to understand is that Jesus is showing us a continual practice of prayer. Now, mind you, this is different from the prayer that he taught them a few chapters back. But here it is. He's in the midst of intercession. And as he's interceding, he's interceding within their earshot. So they're hearing this. So it's not just that he's interceding as he's done so many times before where they didn't know or maybe, maybe were wondering what he was doing afar off, but now he's doing it in front of them. And he's doing it within earshot so they can hear that this is how you pray. That you're praying not from a place of defeat, that you're not pray, praying from a place of, of reluctance, but that you're praying as one who has relationship and knows that the one that you are petitioning has the power to make it come to pass. Are you following? So we're seeing a pattern of praying, a pattern of prayer that the Lord has kept. So Jesus prayed for his disciples before he chose them. We'll see that. We can see that in Luke chapter 6, verse 12. I hope you guys are taking notes. Jesus prayed for his disciples before he chose them. Jesus prayed during his ministry. We see that in John 6, 15. And now Jesus is praying at the end of his ministry. And then we see that Jesus not only ended his ministry with prayer, but after his ascension, continues to pray and intercedes at the right hand of the Father. In accordance with Romans chapter 8, verse 34, Hebrews 7, 25. Write those down, look them up and read them. Because Jesus, our high priest, who has ascended into the holies of holies once and for all, is now in the place of glory at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for the saints. Hallelujah. If, that was, if there was a place to get excited about, that would, that would be it. Leonard Ravenhill said that, that prayer is not preparation for the battle, but it is the battle. And so to know that we have uh, our, our great high priest still continuing on in his ministry to his disciples at this very moment is in eternity interceding for you and I, that we would continue to fulfill the will of the Father. We see in this passage that Jesus refers to the Father as Holy Father. This is, this is something what we're, what we're to grasp from this is that we're seeing both aspects of God's nature. It's a balance of ideas of his ultimate purity mixed with his intimate paternity. He's a Holy Father. He's completely pure. And he's completely a father. He's the essence of what a father is. The ultimate end of God keeping these disciples loyal to the revelation that Jesus had given them was that they might experience unity. That the saints might experience unity. They would be one with one another as well as one with the son and the father if they remained loyal to Jesus' revelations. Are you following this? Jesus did not include Judas in his requests for the 11. Hello. 
Jesus did not include Judas in his requests for the 11. Why? Because, number one, Jesus only does what the Father tells him to do. Right? We know that Jesus was on a mission to lay down his life. Do you realize that he's, as he's praying for the disciples, he's praying that they would endure, that they would prosper, that they would be blessed, that they would have unity? Do you know that, that whatever Jesus says comes to pass? And if he had prayed for Judas, it would have been completely against the will of God. Why? Because even in the midst of him having complete authority, as we read at the beginning of this chapter, at the beginning of this passage, that the father had given the son complete authority in the name that he gave him. Gave him complete authority that even with the fact that he had all power and all authority and could have completely changed the trajectory of Judas's life, that he was that submitted to giving God the glory that it meant his own death that he wouldn't even pray for Judas. I know it sounds weird. If he had prayed for him, it would be against the sovereign will of God. Why? Because it was the master's plan that the lamb be slain before the foundations of the earth was laid. Amen? Jesus is also telling us in this passage that the world would hate the disciples because they were no longer of the world, even as the world hated Jesus because he was not of the world. The idea is not so much that the disciples' outlook was different from the world. Like, we're not just talking about just a, a trivial surface difference that the disciples had from the world. It wasn't like, oh yeah, no, we're praying to the same God. No, it was a stark, staunch difference in the behavior and the way that, they, that, that their character caused them to behave and who their allegiance was with and who they put their trust and their hope in that made them different from the world. It wasn't just that they had a different outlook on the world. It wasn't that, that in the midst of a hopeless world that they just had optimism Wasn't that they just had positivity and positive vibes, right? Right, that's the thing now, right? Positive vibes, right? Positive energy. Well, yeah, it, the vibrations. Like, no, it wasn't that. Their outlook was different. It wasn't just that their outlook was different from the world's, but that their origin and character were changed since they had believed in Jesus. You're like, what do you mean? What, what, what does that mean? Because we, we just read that Jesus said, the ones that you gave me from out of this world. And it's saying that their origin had been changed because they believed in Jesus. What does that mean? It means 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, when, when it says that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. His origin changes. Yeah, yeah, you think, I look like I'm from this world. I look like I'm from here. I look like the rest of you guys, but I'm different. I move different. My conversation is different. I speak odd. They were new creatures. And so the world hated them. Throughout church history, Christians have sought relief from the world's hatred by withdrawing from it socially and in other ways, or by compromising with it. Some individuals tend to withdraw from a disagreeable and dangerous environment, while others prefer to blend into it. Jesus' will, however, was that his disciples should do neither of these things. Christians must not take themselves out of the world, but remain in meaningful contact with it, trusting in God's protection while they witness for Jesus. Can I, can I, can I expound on this just a, just a tiny bit? 
Um, probably about 10 years ago, you know, my family and I, we had moved into uh, this nice little nook of a place here in, in the community called Parkway Gardens, in which we had uh, three homicides within the first six months of us living there that happened in broad daylight, mind you. And here it is, I'm teaching my kids, and I mean, like, I'm not saying that, saying this to say that we was living in the roughest and toughest place, but no, it's just the fact of any time that you got to raise your children in an environment where it's like, hey, you hear anything, loud banging noises, sound like firecrackers or something like that going off, hit the floor, right? And so uh, this was something that we had, we like, just like people have fire drills, we was having hit the floor drills, you know what I mean? And we weren't in the greatest uh, neighborhood to where we had access to the greatest educational institution. And all four of my children were going to this school. And my wife and I were, we, 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 we kind of, we were tempted to be grieved by the fact that, man, you know, our, our, because of where we live, because of our socioeconomic status at this time, that, that our children are going to, have a subpar education, that they're, that they're, they're, they're going to get a mediocre uh, treatment or a mediocre experience in their education when all of a sudden, like, we, the light bulb came on that, look, you're, you're in this world, but you're not of it. So you need to access the kingdom on this situation. Like, what, what, what good is it if, yeah, it'd be great that if we could take your kids and put them in a nice Christian bubble and raise them all the way up to adulthood like that, but, you know what I'm saying, maybe... You're not seeing the bigger picture. Maybe I, 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 have, I have called your children to, to, to carry this cross because they're going to be a seed that's going to be planted in this community where there's no other light, there's no other hope. And sure enough, months after our kids are going and we're praying every morning, dropping our children off, taking them to school, praying not just for them, but praying that they would be a blessing to their teachers, praying that they'd be a blessing to their classmates, praying that they would be a light in the midst of darkness, praying that, praying that they would walk in the brilliance in which God has created them to be, that their, that their minds would be sponges and that they would soak up all of the things that God has for them to, to, to retain and keep for them so that they, they can advance in the knowledge of of. of, of being in the natural, but also spiritually because we're taking time to invest the word in them when they're at home for every bit that the world would try and invest in them at, at school, that we're, we're countering that with the kingdom that after months of doing this, we started hearing, you know, the Johnson kids are, 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 are an amazing, amazing influence here in our school. We didn't even, we didn't set out to do this. This wasn't something that we were like, we were, we were aiming to, yeah, we're going to send our kids in there and they're going to flip the place upside. No, we didn't do that. We were just praying that our kids would be protected and that God would, would do what's necessary, like do the part, like we, we do everything we could in the natural and God would put his super on it as we send them out into the world that he would keep them. And in turn, God honored the prayers, and they did. They had a great impact in their school, so much so that the staff would love when they saw us coming, would ask us to help other families, and it ended up becoming a, being a complete ministry. Now, had we, had we tried to find another hustle or a side hustle to, to scrape en enough ends to put our kids in private school and to keep them in this Christian bubble, and I'm not saying anything's wrong with private school. I'm not saying anything's wrong with your kids going to private school or a Christian school or anything like that. But I'm saying as for us in our house, for the blueprint that the Lord was building, for us we would have missed out on an opportunity to show the goodness of God where it might not have ever touched. Are you guys following? Christians must not take themselves out of the world, but remain in meaningful contact with it 
trusting in God's protection while they witness for Jesus. As we see in this passage, Jesus says to make them holy. He prays, make them holy. In another translation, it says to sanctify them. Father, sanctify them. What does this mean? The way Jesus asked the Father to sanctify the disciples was by using his word. This means that it is essential for disciples to know, understand, believe, and obey the revelation that God has given us in his word. Listen, practical sanctification involves separation unto God from the world, the evil one who controls it, and the lies that he promotes that the world believes. Can I say that again? Practical sanctification involves separation unto God from the world, the evil one who controls it, and the lies that he promotes that the world believes. Why is he saying to sanctify them through my word? Because his word is truth. And there's a lot of lies that are going around, going, going around circulating throughout the world that are mixed with a little bit of the truth. I think uh, Atira said this on Sunday that, that it takes just a little bit of truth to be mingled with the lie to make it sound like it's the truth. Like, I get it, man, that you got good vibrations. I believe that vibrations can be good, but don't send them to me when I need prayer. Only prayer, put Jesus on that, right? Not the Beach Boys, okay? Keep, they can keep the good vibrations, right? Give me Jesus. We have to be separated unto God. That's what being sanctified is. That's what being set apart is all about, being set apart from the world for God's use. Be careful what you lend your members to. Are you following? In our sanctification, it is with the mind we learn God's truth through the word. My note takers, write this down. With the mind, we learn God's truth through the word. With the heart, we love God's truth, which is his son. With the will, we yield to the spirit of truth and live God's truth day by day. Are you following it? With the mind, we learn God's truth through the word. With the heart, we love God's truth, which is the Son. And with our will, we yield to the spirit of truth and live God's truth day by day. That's why Philippians tells us that it is the, it is the spirit that is working within us both to do and will the Father's good pleasure. Both to will and to do the Father's good pleasure. We can't do it on our own. It's by the power of the spirit. Listen, it takes all three for a balanced experience of sanctification. It takes, our, it takes our mind, it takes our heart, and it takes our will. Are you following? All three of those for a balanced experience of sanctification. If I might kind of like just veer off to the side for a second in regard to something that we just read. Jesus talked about how the Father gave him all authority over everyone in his name. And his prayer is also that the disciples would be kept in the power of his name. Now I know there's like, there's, there's some groups and circles that want to wrestle and, and redefine, well, what is the name of Jesus, right? Like, is, is, is Jesus really the pronunciation of his name? Like, have y'all heard that? Like, like the, the, the J doesn't exist in the Hebrew alphabet. Mind you that if you use Jesus 
Christ in vain, like nobody has a big deal about it. But when it comes to putting Jesus Christ and utilizing and accessing the authority that comes in that name, then it becomes a problem, right? But let's just, let's just entertain the thought that J doesn't exist in the Hebrew alphabet, okay? Let's just entertain the thought. What do we know about the name of Jesus? We know that it is a name that is given that's far above any other name, correct? So think about this. If God gives him a name that holds all authority, all power, that's far above any other name in the earth, beneath the earth, or above the earth, wouldn't it make sense to give him a name that wasn't even in somebody's vocabulary? I'm going to give you a name that isn't even in the vocabulary of the people that I'm sending you to. So that way it's plain and it can't be mistaken. Just something for you to chew on and think about. The next time that maybe somebody crosses your path and they got an issue with the name of Jesus. The name that is far above every name Power, might, dominion, principality. The only name by which man can be saved. Amen? Amen. Let's continue on with Jesus' prayer. Verse 20, he says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Amen? That's, 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 that's great. You talk about foresight. <laughs> Jesus is talking about us right here in this, in this passage. He said, I'm not just praying for these 11. You know, I ain't just praying for the 11, Father. I'm praying for all those that's going to come to you because of the 11. Not the 11, the 11, right? I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. For those of you guys that, that, that know, it, it, it's, it, it fits right along with where we're at at the Building Christian Fellowship, that we are apostolic. We follow the apostles' doctrine. And that's who these apostles are that Jesus is praying about, the disciples. We continue on in their doctrine. That's why we're able to have a real relevant relationship with Jesus Christ. Right? So we continue on in their doctrine. We've been saved through their message. And Jesus continues on. He says, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. O oh, righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. Amen. Amen. Let's finish this off. Jesus was praying specifically for the leaven, for the lamb. However, we should not regard what he requested for the 11 as restricted to them exclusively. He was praying this for us as well. All subsequent believers need sanctification by God's word so they can achieve their mission just as the 11 did. Y'all following? Jesus is sending them on a mission 
but because we followed the doctrine of the apostles and they completed their mission, we're carrying the torch. They passed the torch to us and we're continuing and running the race. Amen? And so Jesus is telling the father that, father, I don't want this, this to, check this out. This is, this, is, this is good, right? So Jesus is telling the father, he's asking the father to keep them in your name. Keep them in your name. Like, the reason being is because when Jesus left, his name stayed. which grants us access. Like, it's not like a patriarch who dies and leaves the family and everything that was in his name goes with him. Are you following? Like, there's, 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 there's certain uh, accounts and access. Like, if he's built credit, he can't pass that on to everybody else. Right? That goes with him. But Jesus is like, keep them in your name because they, if, they, if they're in me and you're in me and I'm in them, then it'll continue on. Even after I'm gone. Jesus is our example of perfect sanctification. And his sanctification makes ours possible. Because Jesus was completely set apart from the world. He wasn't of the world. He was able to completely glorify the Father. And therefore made it possible for us. Why? Because he was the word that came and wrapped himself in flesh. Are you following? We have the father in the beginning. The son was with him as the word. And the Holy Spirit. Remember I, I referenced last week, Genesis chapter one, the Genesis account that the father speaks. He says, let us create. He sends the word, which is the son. The word goes out to accomplish what the father sent it out to do. Holy Spirit hovers over it by his power, brings it into fruition. Are you following? Think about the immaculate conception. The angel shows up with the word sent from the father, the word to speak to Mary. You will bear a son. He'll be the only, only begotten of the Father. His name will be Emmanuel, God with us, the Savior of the world. Tells this to a virgin. She receives the word and says, be it unto me according to your word. And it says, by the Spirit, she conceived. By the Spirit, she conceived. The word came, then the Spirit activated. Are you following? So we have Jesus as the perfect example of sanctification, making ours possible. Without the sacrificial death of Jesus, there would be no salvation and no mission for us. There would be no sanctification for us either. One of the purposes of Jesus's death was to set believers apart to God and his mission for them to function as priests in this world. Did you know that you're part of a royal priesthood? Jesus died sacrificing himself as our high priest to bring us into the priesthood. That in his absence, physically, we would be his body and carry out the mission as priests in this world. The fullest attainment that man can reach is to reflect the relationship of Jesus and the Father. Are you hearing this? The highest level that we could ever attain is, is reflecting Jesus' relationship with the Father. Why? Because from the beginning of the believer's spiritual life to the day of final glorification, the fatherhood of God is the ultimate experience of his love bestowed upon us through our union with Christ. It has always been the father's intent of fatherhood. Not lordship, but fatherhood. 
The revelation of God results in the glory of God. The revelation of God results in the glory of God. If Jesus lives in us, all three members of the Godhead indwell in us as Christians. God's indwelling presence unites Christians in the body of Christ and glorifies God. Do we not just read that he, he wanted us to be one as he and the Father are one? Why? So that the world can know that his message was true. It's funny that he didn't say that, that, like, that the, the world will know by when they pull up to your parking lot and they see all of the Bentleys out in front of your, your church. That, that they'll know that that's where God, God is when he sees the Lambos and he sees the Benzes in the parking lot. No, he says that they'll know by seeing the union of my disciples because they're united by the word and by one spirit. Are you following? So we have the Godhead that indwells on the inside of us as believers and it unites us as believers so that God can get the glory. We're talking about interconnection and interdependency. Interconnection and interdependency. Meaning that, that it's not about me and how well I follow the revelation of God on my own, but it's the fact that I'm in harmony and, and we're doing what, what Atira shared with us in Hebrews about encouraging each other all the more as we see the, the day of the Lord approaching that we're being iron and sharp as iron, that we're in fellowship with one another, that we are doing our best to protect the harmony and the unity of the body of believers because it gives God glory and it testifies to the world that his message was true. Do you realize that separation is not of God? Division is not of God. Why? Because he's in perfect harmony and union with himself. He is a community all unto himself. He didn't create us for community. He created us to reflect who he is. Community is a byproduct of it. But he's reflected us as believers together to reflect who he is. And that's why it's important that we live together in unity. Are you following this? I want to end it with this. Nice little quote. I know y'all was thinking you was going to get away through the night without a quote, but I'm giving you a quote. And I'm going to leave you with this. Leonard Ravenhill, Ravenhill says this, church unity comes from corporate humility. Church unity comes from corporate humility. He has a lot of good quotes about prayer. And as you guys know, we just read chapter 17, which is the greatest prayer that was ever prayed, the greatest prayer that was ever recorded, that was prayed by our Lord and Savior, our high priest, interceding on our behalf from all eternity, praying that we would maintain a place of humility, that we would Wake up every day like we hadn't prayed for anything before. Coming to him knowing that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think. That we might reveal his glory in the earth. Through our unity with one another. Because we're connected to him. Amen. Give God some praise if you got something out of tonight. Man, I'm enjoying this journey through John. We're going to continue on next week. You guys got a treat. It's not going to be me sharing. It's going to be somebody else. I'm not even going to tell you who it is. Just you're going to have to be here to see it. And, and you might not believe your eyes, but you're going to see it, and it's going to be great, and it's going to be good. Um, we're continuing on through the journey through John. I hope you guys have been getting a lot out of this 
Hey, look, the doors of the church are open. I'm thank you guys for coming in tonight. Those of you guys that are in here physically, those of you guys that may not have been able to make it because you got off work late or whatever and you're tuning in on Facebook or YouTube, thank you guys for tuning in. Also want to send a shout out, look, Thursday night, Elevate YM in the building, 7 p.m. Make sure that you young people are here. Young adults, go and RSVP for our, our, our Forward Young Adults Rally that's going to be April 30th, the last Friday of this month. We are getting together. We got a panel discussion that's going to be off the chain. Look, it's, it's about fallen heroes. Does the truth change? If you want to know, come and be here. Make sure that you RSVP. Go to the app, RSVP. Go to tbc.life and go under events. Go in RSVP. Make sure you save your spot. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be a good time. Look, Sunday morning... We want to see your face in the place, 11 a.m. The doors of the church are open, saints. We're open to every, the, the world about to open back up. It's only right that the church be open before the world does. You feel me? Let's do this. Hey, let's go ahead and pray out of here um, and go on with the rest of our night. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We love you, Lord, for the revelation of your word tonight. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, being our high priest. We thank you for praying for us long ago and that you're continuing to pray for us as your disciples. Lord, that we would be a, a, a reflection of your glory here in the earth, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would, uh, as your body of believers, Father, that we would be in unity as you and the Father are in unity, Lord Jesus. That you and the Father and the Spirit are in complete union and in agreement with one another. Lord, that we would uh, uh, put aside all of our trivial differences, Lord, and that we would all be united by the scripture, that we would be all united by the word, that we would be all united by the logos, Lord, that we would, we would stand on the definition that is you, Lord, that we would be made free by your truth. Father, for whom the Son is set free is free indeed. Lord, we thank you for multiplying our freedom. We thank you for multiplying our faith. We thank you for moving us from glory to glory, from strength to strength, from faith to faith. Lord, that we are continuing and advancing for your kingdom here in the earth, Lord. Lord, that we would not uh, try and remove ourselves from the world, but that we would have meaningful contact with it. Lord, that we witness for you. Lord, we, we, we don't need to be advocates because you have given us an advocate in your Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to be witnesses by your Spirit, that we would be effective in our witness, that we would protect our testimony, for it is by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony that we overcome the wicked one. And Lord, let us not love our lives unto death, Lord, but count it all joy, just as you looked beyond the cross and you saw the glory of the Father. Lord, we ask that you would help us to see beyond our trial and see the glory of you, the only begotten Son. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen? Amen. Y'all go with God. Y'all have a blessed night. Thank you for tuning in.